good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn in your Bibles once more tonight to this section of the Psalter, the Songs of Degrees. Um, we're in the Psalm 125, the Psalm 125. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel." The doctrine of the eternal security of the believer has been one of the most debated and misused doctrines in the history of the church. If I mention tonight some of the errors, you will immediately recognize that these errors are present in the visible church of today. To some, eternal security is the only one of the doctrines of grace to be accepted. There are those in the rank and file, often in the, in the Baptist denominations, who will espouse a one-point Calvinism, holding tenaciously to the belief that once you're saved, you're always saved. Such thinking will hold that a person who has decided for Christ will be in heaven, no matter how they live between decision and death. And so there is this strong, tenacious grip upon this doctrine as they would espouse it. Once saved, always saved. Once you've decided, then you are safe for time and for eternity. To the other side, there are some in this area who deny eternal security altogether. And they assert that the Calvinistic doctrine of eternal security leads to presumption. It leads to people living as they please. And I think significantly they are observing the church around them. They, they see the false use of the once saved, always saved doctrine. And thus in response to that, they would teach that if you are teaching eternal security, you're removing this motiv motivation for holiness. If you teach people can, can live as they please and yet still be secure, well then why would they bother putting off sin and putting on Christ. And so they read the instruction of the Word of God regarding holiness, regarding persevering, and therefore they conclude that there must be the potential of being saved and lost. In light of these errors, the Calvinist will rightly say that the Bible teaches eternal security in the context of the saint's perseverance along with God's preservation. And keeping those two words in mind and seeing their distinction is very, very important. The Calvinist will say that the saint must and will persevere, but they will do so because God preserves. But some today have gone astray in this area. 
they have emphasized the necessity of the saints persevering to the point that it seems to suggest, and again, I'm careful of the words I use, it seems to suggest that perseverance is necessary to our justification. Those who persevere are those who are justified, forgiven, pardoned, accepted as righteous. Oh, that's true. Those who persevere are those who are justified. But the subtle danger is that our perseverance becomes a partial ground for our justification. And thus some will talk about a final act of justification in the future, perhaps a judgment. Now, we are justified only on the ground of Christ's work. Our works, even those that are caused by the Spirit of God in us, do not make up any part of the ground of our justification. And yes, there is a judgment to come whereby our faith will be proven to be genuine or false. But even when our faith is proven to be genuine, the works that prove our faith at no point are part of our justification. Truth can be simply stated. Those whom God saves are eternally secure because God preserves them so that they will persevere by God's Spirit. So those who are genuinely saved by God, they are eternally secure because God preserves them so that they will indeed persevere by the Spirit of God. They say, well, why am I talking tonight about eternal security? Well, because it is the subject of Psalm 125, of course. We've noted that in the wickedness of a fallen world, the believer has a difficult road to walk, but they are kept by God, who is the believer's helper. We've noticed the contempt of the ungodly, Psalm 1, 2, 3. We've noted the conflict, those who would seek to destroy uh, the believers in Psalm 1, 2, 4. And here again, we, we see that theme continuing. There is the reference in verse 3 to the rod of the wicked. We're living in difficult times. And yet Psalm 1, 2, 5 is making it very clear that we will be secure, even as we walk in a difficult, in a fallen, in a world of conflict. The psalm emphatically states the believer's security. It does so in verse 1 by way of comparison. It gives this simile. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. They're like the immovable mount. The mountain physically that was immovable. That picture, of course, when you think of the picture of Mount Zion, that picture gives birth in part to the use of Mount Zion as a term for the heavenly eternal city in Hebrews 12. It is an eternal immovable mount. And the believer and those who trust in God will not be moved. They are as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. In what sense are they like Mount Zion? Well, it is that they will not be removed, but they will abide and live forevermore. And thus the security is stated in that way of comparison with Mount Zion. It's also stated, though, by way of contrast in verse 5, As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. We'll come back to that text uh, briefly later on, but for now, simply note the idea of contrast. The true people of God, uh, under the term Israel here, they will know peace. 
The word shalom that you'll be familiar with in the Hebrew language, they will know this peace of God and not be led forth with the workers of iniquity. This leading forth, I think, is very clearly speaking about leading forth into judgment and eternal ruin. Peace is opposite to God's wrath. And I think we think of the words of Christ in Matthew 7, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the workers of iniquity in verse 5 are those that work iniquity, Matthew 7, and they are those who are led forth and depart from the presence and the peace of God. And so in those two verses, acting as bookends, if you like, in the psalm, uh, there is clear evidence of the eternal security of God's people. But the psalm itself opens up for us a number of reasons as to why God's people know this security. Let me show them to you very quickly. The first one is this. God's people are eternally secure because they are the Lord's possession. Look what it says in verse number 2. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. There is the beauty of that pronoun, his. We are the Lord's possession. We belong to God. And God treasures his possessions. One of the things you've got to teach children from a very early age is to look after their property. Not to be careless with their, with their toys or with their, uh, their room or wherever it might be, but be more careful. Because it is, it is right and proper for us to guard our personal property. Thou shalt not steal is an indication of God's will that we guard and we preserve our personal property. The inference is that it is the will of God that we look after those things that we possess. I believe with all of my heart it is an affront to the character of God to suggest that he does not look after his possession and that those who belong to him at some point could at some future point be misplaced or mistreated by the God of heaven. If we belong unto God, then God will look after his possession. Is that not what Christ teaches in John chapter 10? Turn over to John 10 to see the, the parallel in John 10. John 10, there, there, are, there are a number of portions of God's word that emphasize the believer's security. And I suppose if you were at the very start of your Christian life and you wanted to study it out, you would do well to read John 10 and Romans 8. If you had those two portions in your head, uh, you would rightly understand the doctrine of eternal security. But in John 10, you have the reference, of course, to, to verse number 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Who are the them? Well, verse number 27 tells us, my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They are my sheep. They belong unto Christ. They are his by election. Look what it says in verse 26, referring to the Jews and their unbelief. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Note it does not say that ye are not my sheep, and therefore ye believe not. It's saying, because you're not my sheep, you don't believe. Amen. The elect are those who believe. 
And you see that also, there is reference to, to election here in verse number 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. It's a reference, of course, to the, to the Gentiles, who will in the future be gathered into the, the sheepfold of Christ. But look how he describes them in verse 16. Other sheep I have, they're already his. They belong to him in election. In that doctrine of election, they are given unto him, and they are his. They belong to him. And yes, in due season, they will hear his voice. In other words, they will believe. So they are Christ's possession by election. They're also Christ's possession by redemption. Verse 14 of John 10, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The shepherd is giving his life for those that are his. The good shepherd, verse 11, giveth his life for the sheep. The hireling has no heart for the sheep. They don't belong to the hireling, but they're Christ's. They belong to Christ, and therefore he shows that in the act of redemption. And so Paul would say, ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. And being bought with a price, therefore you're not your own. Ye belong unto God. And therefore, Whilst we would strongly object to the false concept of once saved, always saved, we would not deny at any time that those who belong to God are God's forever. The cross will not lose any for whom Christ has died. They belong to Christ and they are his forevermore. But note also in the second place that God's people are eternally secure as they enjoy the Lord's protection. Verse number two again. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. Again, it's a picture, it's a reference to the natural mountains that surrounded Jerusalem. Those mountains that made attacking Jerusalem at a difficulty, they were natural obstacles against the enemies of God. They served as protection. God's people are secure because they enjoy the Lord's protection. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. God has promised to protect his people. How does he protect his people? Well, I think he does so in ways that we are not always aware of. The Lord's on our side. And we thought of Elisha's servant who, who could not see the, uh, the forces of heaven who were on his side. The Lord is on our side. And we see that in, in the form of protection. But listen to how the words as, as that multitude are described in 2 Kings 6 verse 17. And behold... The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people. And here we find the mountains full of horses and chariots round about Elisha. You know, we, we bemoan, bemoan how the modern man loves the idea of angels. Even the ungodly, they like the idea of having angels. And so you go into a, a secular bookstore and you will find books on angels. You might find none on Christ, but you'll find some on angels. 
And so the church, we've been a bit cautious about discussing angels. But they are ministering spirits, aren't they? Do we believe in a spiritual realm? Do we believe in the forces of evil? Well, do we believe in God's ministering angels? You can't see it. But could it not be that God is protecting you at different times? Physically? Spiritually? Emotionally? Because God is round about His people. He protects His people in ways that we do not always understand. There's another reference I want you to turn to. It's Song of Solomon chapter 3. This is a beautiful reference in, in poetic form of Song of Solomon chapter 3. It is this love poem between Solomon the groom and his bride. It points forward, of course, uh, through the poetry to Christ and his church. And you have this reference in verse 7. Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. And the bed, of course, that speaks of the, of the fellowship between Solomon and his church. There is that communion, that intimacy that Christ enjoys with his church. And round about that, there are these three score valiant men. In verse 8, they all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. They're round about Christ and his church. Again, we can't be dogmatic, but I think the reference here is pointing forward to the office of the elder and the gospel minister who, using the sword of the Word of God, protect the fellowship of Christ and His church. They have that duty to guard, to guard the fellowship of God's people, to ensure that there's no one gets in and disrupts the fellowship between Christ and the church, that the false teachers are kept away, that those who seek to, to rend asunder what God has joined together, that they be kept away. I believe that's the, the picture here. God, indeed, in His mercy, provides elders for the protection of the church. It's one of the ways he does that. We know that from Acts chapter 20, they are to, to guard the flock, guard it from the wolves that come in and seek to destroy. God's people are secure because they are safe in God's protection. Again, you think of John 10, they're in the hands of God, in the hand of Christ. What greater power than God's? can remove the saint from God's protection. That's ultimately what the implication is. You deny the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer, and you're suggesting that there is some power that can overthrow God's power. Amen. The third thing is this. God's people are eternally secure as they experience God's preserving grace. What I mean here, well, note the terms that are used in Psalm 125. And again, I hadn't really noticed this until, until today, but this, this psalm really does have in five verses uh, the sum and substance of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Note the terms. Verse number one, they that trust in the Lord. They are those that cannot be removed. They are those that trust, uh, not once, but those who live a life of trust and faith. They're described later on in verse 4 as those that are good and that are upright in their hearts. They are those, by implication, who do not turn aside, verse number 5. Now these things, trust, 
goodness and uprightness and perseverance in the right ways. They are not the conditions to our security. In other words, we don't fulfill these and therefore we are secure. But rather, these things occur, we trust, we are good, we are upright, we keep on the right ways because of God's grace in our lives. God works in us so that these things are true of us. We do trust and we keep on trusting. We are good, not as God is good, but we are truly good because God is working in us. We are upright in heart and we do not turn aside. Their security is seen in what God's preservation produces. Look what it says in verse 3. God's protection is such, the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands into iniquity. God's protection is such that he keeps us from falling into ruin and apostasy. Left to ourselves. You know as well as I do, left to ourselves, and we would turn away from God. We would not keep going. And if you think you would, take heed lest you fall. If you think you stand and that you can stand on your own, take heed lest you fall. Here we have the truth that God preserves us in this particular instant from the rod of the wicked so that we do not put forth our hands unto iniquity. We don't turn away because God preserves us. He keeps us from ruin by working in us. And eternal security is not the teaching that you're saved and then live as you like. It is a teaching that when God saves you, he continues to work in you so that you will not turn back and you will endure to the end. Let me read to you the words of 1 Peter chapter 1 and the verse number 5 where it says this, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We get the point we're kept by the power of God. But note that the power of God enables us by faith to live unto salvation. So we do keep on believing. And we do so by God's grace. And therefore we are eternally secure. But in the last place, God's people are eternally secured as they receive the Lord's provision. So we are the Lord's possession. We enjoy the Lord's protection. We experience God's uh, preser preserving grace. And here we come to think about how we receive the Lord's provision. Note verse 4. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good. God does good to them. We see the parallel with Romans chapter 8, the chapter of eternal security. It begins, there is therefore now no condemnation and ends with nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is the chapter of our security. And in that chapter, we see that God does good unto those that be good. God does good in that he works all things for our good. You know verse 28 of Romans, chapter 8. All things are working together for our good because God's working those things out for our good. You know, there's things in our lives at different times that we think they must indicate that God is against us. And we fail to see that God is able to use even the deepest afflictions 
to work out for our good, because our eternal security matters to God. He works all things for our good. He does good unto those that be good, and he gives all good things to them. The psalmist says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, verse 11. And you think of Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God did not spare his own son. God did deliver his own son up unto the cross for our redemption. And therefore with Christ will freely give us all things. If if there was one thing you lacked to get to glory, you could be lost. But God ensures that each and everything you need to get to glory at the end is there for you. And again, to suggest that a believer can be lost is to impinge upon God's goodness. That he would not give us what we need. He gives us the grace that we need to live day by day. He gives us his word. He gives us all of these various blessings that are ours in Christ so that, so that nothing will separate us from the love of God. It's a simple Psalm, five verses. It's the truth of God. It's the amen of God and the child of God is secure. And for that we praise God. You need not live in fear and doubt. How do you apply the eternal security of the believer? Do you apply it by sitting back and just letting things drift by? No, that's the false application. You apply it by living confidently for God. Day by day rejoicing in your security. Rejoicing in His love. Serving Him, living for Him. You apply it by praying for those who live in the insecurity of a lost condition. You are eternally secure, dear child of God. For those who die out of Christ, they are eternally insecure. And we, again, as God's people tonight, must pray that the ungodly would come to know the security of the gospel. A gospel that does not only save, but a gospel that keeps and see us forevermore. May God bless his words to your hearts tonight for his name's sake. I know these things are very, very familiar to you, but may we rejoice in them again tonight, and may God apply them to your hearts for his name's sake. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.